Well, hello, and welcome to another Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Today, we're going to talk about skip tracing and contracts. And in the booth with us, as always, is Gene. I don't know what that first word is, but I know what a contract is. <laughs> well, skip tracing is something that unless you are in certain industries, you would probably not know about. We've spoken in a different podcast about some of my background, what got me where I am today. Part of what got me here was skip tracing. I used to do collections for the Department of Education, student loans, different types of debts. And in collections, a lot of time you have someone that the information you have on them is either not valid, maybe you have a name, but you don't have their address or their telephone number. Now you're going to have to try to go find this information. And what does that have to do with us in real estate? We're not in collections. We're in real estate. Well, if you're trying to find the owner of a property, let's say you try to look up public records, you're trying to look up the owner of a property. So you go to the tax records. The property tax records are going to display the person's name, some address. Sometimes it's the address that you're inquiring about and that won't help you. But other times there's a different address and that might be where they live. Again, skip tracing could be finding out a phone number or an email address, the different information for this person that you may want to contact in the future. And this is skip tracing. And as investors, we do it all the time. Um, you're going to do a whole heck of a lot of skip tracing when you do your tax sale research. You're going to do a whole lot of skip tracing when you try to find the people that you're driving for dollars. When you're going out and you're trying to find these real estate deals, nine times out of 10, when we've discussed in another podcast, you're driving around, you're looking for different properties where the grass is high, there's windows that are boarded up, no one lives there, so you can't knock on a door and ask them, hey, who owns this house? How do you find them when there's nobody that lives there? Well, you're going to have to skip trace. You're going to have to look up some information. One of the ways that I do skip tracing is looking up records like property tax records. You're going to want to know how to look up property tax records online. The county that the property is located in is going to be the beginning point of research. You may want to look up something such as, um, I don't know, let's say Floyd County property tax search or property tax records search, something of that nature. And again, in your county or the county that the property is located in. Another thing that I like to do is just broad Google search to find a person's name, a person's address a person's telephone number, you can look up and find that there are lots and lots of whitepages.com, a lot of .coms that you can pay for. You can even pay for background checks if trying to do your research to um, vet a possible tenant or do your getting them approved process. You're going to be do, wanting to find background search, credit check searches, um, and you're going to want to know where to get that information as well. While we're talking about information, I like to do a thing that is called rent spree. When I am looking up my people and doing the credit search, background search, all of that stuff, it'll give you the access to a lot of this information online. I still like to go to my local county sheriff's office and run the background check through them. That's always going to have different, better sometimes information than what you can get online. 
And again, sometimes the stuff online, while it's broad in spectrum, it's better to go in person and get, you know, more in-depth records, just like you would at the courthouse. You can look up certain things online, but when it comes to doing some lien research or some deed research, you're going to want to physically go to the county and get that information as well. Okay, do we have any questions so far about skip tracing or what it is? What about Facebook? I know some people publish their phone number on Facebook. Has that ever helped you or do you not really bother with that? Because most people don't have a phone number on Um, Facebook. Most people, if they do have it, it's not listed as public. So I don't look on Facebook a whole lot. I would say that there are other ways to get that information. And for me, to pay a few dollars to get more accurate information saves me a whole lot of time. In my case, that's what I do. And there are going to be about a million different websites that you can go to get that information online. Just Google and see which ones take you where you want to go. Okay, so now that we know what skip tracing is and the sorts of things that we may skip trace for, I'll tell you a little bit of a story, and you can use this to step-by-step as to what you can do in your case when you need to start skip tracing. As a realtor, I was trying to help someone in my family try to find their first home. They were not very knowledgeable, first-time home buyer, someone that did not know how to do their own research or skip tracing regarding trying to find different things about the property. I went and took the person with me. We found the property that was the best property This was a property that was, as it turns out, a foreclosure, not a pre-foreclosure. It was an all-the-way foreclosure, all-the-way May. It obviously had no one living there. A foreclosure is something that is now bank-owned. It didn't sell at the auction, so the bank usually bought it back. Now it is sitting in the bank's portfolio, just waiting for someone. It's listed online. There's an agent that has access to it, and it's just sitting there waiting empty for someone to buy it on the open market. That's a foreclosure. We're looking at this foreclosure. This is the one, and I tell my relative slash client, this is the one for you. This is the right price. It's easy enough to fix up. With foreclosures, just a side note, Foreclosures are often in some sort of disrepair. They are often discounted and not the, you know, high price of maybe the house next door that is 100% remodeled, 100% in excellent condition, 100% ready to move in, and is not in foreclosure. It's just being sold on the open market. Well, this is not that situation. This is someone who unfortunately lost their home, could no longer pay their mortgage, mortgage got behind. At some point, it got so delinquent and in default that the bank came and said, look, if you don't pay us this amount, we're foreclosing on you. Foreclosing means that gets put at the auction and is going to hopefully get sold at auction for X amount of dollars, minimum bid starting at whatever is owed on the property, let's say 50000 It didn't sell at auction for 50000 even. Nobody was there that day who decided that was a good deal. So the bank bought it back at that amount. And now it is sitting in the portfolio, as I said. Well, we come up and we decide, okay, we want to bid 45000 on this property. Let's go ahead and contact the person we need to contact. Let's go ahead and get this information, you know, over to the seller's agent. So now it's time for us to start researching the property and doing some skip tracing and finding out who was the prior owner, what was the situation 
and see if we can find them. Reason we want to find them is there could be a lien on the property. <laughs> so now we want to know, is this lien valid? Again, I'm going to side note here and say at the time, I did not have access to the information that I have access to today. Back in those days, when you hear word of a lien on a property, you couldn't just look it up in a specific website to see if there was indeed a lien. You had to trot yourself down to the courthouse and you had to go and ask the little ladies, where on earth can I find out about this particular mechanics lien on this person? Again, there's a lot of skip tracing involved here where what used to be done on foot now can be done online. There are websites that you can access almost any information. Let's just say that I did some researching. I found out that through the tax records, so-and-so used to own this property. I get their name. I pull up on Google what their name is. I find an address. Of course, it's the address that we're inquiring about. I find another address. Maybe it's an old address. I pull up some more information through white pages. I've gotten some several addresses, several phone numbers for a possible person who used to own the house. I'm going to go now to another website and I'm going to check and I'm going to see with recorded deeds, does this person's name on this deed, this former owner of the house, before Bank of America owned it, this person, okay, checks, they they owned the house. Before them, this other person. So we've gone now and we've checked out the deeds. Now we're going to go and see if we can't check out a little something about these liens. We're either having to go to the courthouse or we're having to look at specific websites online that are government-controlled websites that you have to have certain access to. Like, for example, a real estate agent, normal real estate agents don't necessarily have need of this. Anyone who pulls the tax deeds and the information for the auctions when they are done through the county, that person's going to have access to this information and easily be able to look it up online. But you can look up mechanics liens. You can look up security deed where they put the lien out on your property. You can look up any type of information as well as when these deeds and liens are canceled, when they're paid, when they're satisfied. This is including government, county taxes, local taxes, city taxes that are owed. This is, of course, a Again, how you look up things that are going to the tax auction. We've talked about tax auctions in a whole different podcast, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it again. But when you're looking up these information for tax sales, whether it's for doing wholesaling, whether it's for looking up your own properties for your family, your friends, whether you're as an investor trying to look up a property and do some skip tracing on something that you might want to purchase for yourself as an investment, you're going to want to know where to find these information where you're going to get it and how you're going to use it depends on the website, of course. So we're looking up and we're seeing that there is a lien against this particular house. It's in the amount of $17,000. Now, when you're talking about the hypothetical number of $50,000 that we're going to get this particular property for in foreclosure, and let's say fixed up, it's worth maybe $120. We're getting it at a discount because it's in foreclosure, because it's not in perfect condition. But to pay another $17,000 on top of that, ooh, now we're up to almost seventy grand plus closing costs and other fees and so forth. That is no longer mathematically a discount as far as us investors are concerned. Again, if you're just a regular average consumer like my family member was, maybe that would be sufficient. But me being an investor, I told her, no way, Jose, (laughs) we can't do it if it's going to be $17,000 and this lien is still in place. 
we have to do further research, further skip tracing, and find out what is the deal on this particular deal. So again, we did a little more research, which was not available online. We had to trot ourselves down to the county, and we had to ask the lady, hey, it's showing this way online as far as it's a lien that is out here, has been recorded for this amount, but nothing has been paid thus far. Is this accurate, or has this lien been paid? As it turns out, they had just gotten the payment in maybe a month before, had not yet put it up online. It hadn't gone into the scanning yet, but it was indeed paid off. There were records to prove that there was no longer this lien on this property. And again, now it's magically back in the game again. And now my family member decided, yes, indeed, at this price, this is a good deal for them to have as their personal home. Turns out that foreclosure, and we closed on it three and a half, four weeks later, that was my mother's house, (laughs) and she lived there happily ever after for many, many years to come. What she paid for it and what it ended up being worth were two completely different things. I, I think it was like three times more than what she paid for it was what it ended up being worth less than 10 years later. Do your skip tracing, get your research done on your properties, and then move forward. When you move forward, that brings us up to our next topic. It's going to be contracts. Every good investor is going to want to make sure that they are protected in the contract. I think Jean has had a little experience with contracts, and even though you didn't write it, the person who did write this contract for you was all about talking about, I'm sure, making sure that you were protected, making sure that your interests were met, do you want to give some details about that? I don't really know anything about writing contracts, but I I, I can say that, um, well, first of all, to our audience, you were the one who was looking out for me, and I appreciated that. You need someone who's going to look out for you, and the timing was important, and terms. Uh, and that's how you looked out for me, was the timing was just a few months, and that was good for me. And the terms were good because I made a good amount on interest in that short, you know, few months, 18 months. Exactly. The first thing that you want to consider when you're writing a contract, again, as a real estate agent, I'm trying to think of my client and make sure that their best interests are met. If it's me writing a contract for myself, I want to make sure that my best interests are met. It depends on who's writing the contract and for what reasons. But for me, anytime I'm writing a contract, I like to first sit down and discuss with the person that I'm writing the contract with, whether it's the buyer, the seller, my client, whomever, whatever the situation is, I want to hear what are the needs in that situation. Who is going to be doing whatever terms need to be met? Who is going to be providing what amount of money to make everyone happy? I like to sit down and listen to what the situation is so that I can try to create a contract that fits everyone's needs. And that really is a good deal when everybody's needs are met and everyone is happy. Um, Sit down and listen to the client, listen to the buyer, listen to the seller, listen to everyone involved and try to come up with a situation that everyone can work with. Once I've done that, the next step is going to be to sit down and write the contract out. I like to use contracts that are GAR forms, real estate forms, RE forms, These are ones that agents use all the time, and it's fill in the blanks. So it's very, very easy to do. Anybody can do it. All you have to do is sit down and read, date, fill in what the date is. On this day, so-and-so person, and there's a blank, as seller, 
agrees to work with so-and-so person blank as buyer. You're filling in blanks in the contract, kind of like Mad Libs. You ever play Mad Libs as a kid? Absolutely. Okay, so one of my favorites. I guess because I did it so much as a kid, I got really good at filling in the blanks and thinking very creatively as far as how to make the contract work in the situation that it's working in. And that does kind of get me to a situation that happened today. I am in the process of doing a real estate rental where the property is close enough to done that we could theoretically go ahead and do a lease. It won't be starting until the first of next month. But we can still sit down, write the lease, and take the security deposit. Well, the person, again, who was doing the contract with me, he wanted to move in before we were exactly ready. We wanted to wait a little while longer, but if we were to consider his terms, it would be more money down. So now, having made these terms and negotiations, we have to kind of put something into a contract that it's not automatically fill in the blanks already there. We're going to have to fill that blank in. I'm going to have to put that into the contract that says, not only have we taken the security deposit from this person writing out this lease, now we have also taken this amount of money. We're using it as this month's rent, and it's going on this particular date that the person moves in. I'm filling out this contract, and I have to make sure that we write in all of the terms. One of the other terms was that they get to go ahead and put their vehicles on this property before the the first of the month. They're not looking to move in before the first necessarily. They just want to go ahead and call it their property, make sure that nobody else is going to get it instead. I have to put into the lease that yes, he is allowed to put his vehicles on the property, although he does not have a key and has not moved in. And we have to write down also to protect the owner because that's my client, and that's who I'm serving the best interest of, I have to make sure that I put in a clause that says we're not responsible for the items that are left on the property. In fact, it's going to be up to the person who's moving in, who hasn't moved in yet. If he wants to, he can put up security cameras, and he can watch and do it that way, but he cannot have a key yet. He can't move in yet, and we're not responsible for anything that happens. Not only that, If he backs out at the last minute, we're keeping his money, too. We have to put so many things into this specialized contract. Normally, I don't have so many terms that I have to write in personally, but there are more and more scenarios that I'm dealing with as I get older that I'm willing to bend a little bit. So we'll have to write something a little different that goes in the contract. I can think back to another scenario when I was writing contracts and putting in terms that I wanted. I had an owner that this was in the midst of the high market back in 2022. Remember the boom that happened? Everybody was a scurry. They needed an apartment to rent. They needed a house to buy. It was just a crazy, crazy market. Things were flying off the shelves. Well, same thing with rentals. I had a rental property that I was property manager on. It was not completely renovated yet, but close enough for the people that were coming in and applying to say, oh, you know, if you go with us, we'll do this. We'll pay the last month's rent. If you go with us, we'll pay the last two months' rent up front. Well, it came to a time where somebody said, hey, we'll pay 12 months up front. We'll pay for the entire lease plus the security deposit. We have a pet but we'll pay a pet deposit too. So here I am saying, hmm, (laughs) I don't want to lose these people. 
we need to write this contract and write it right now, which we did. And I had to write those terms right into the special stipulations of that lease and say, hey, here's what I've done. I've taken this exact amount of money. I've written them out the receipt for this exact amount. These are the rents, the months that have been paid for. This is the situation. This is the scenario down to every last little detail, even the name of the dog and what kind of dog it is. Everything has to be written down in a contract. The more detailed you can be, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And that goes for both parties. Anytime that you're writing out a contract, make sure that you put as many pertinent details in as you can. For example, what if that dog dies and they decide to pull a rope-a-dope on you and get another pet later on, then you don't know if they've gotten a second pet, you don't know what the details are, you don't know what's going on, whereas if everything is in the lease, then you have pretty darned detailed, accurate information that you can refer back to at any time. This doesn't just apply to leases, this applies to purchase and sale contracts. When you're writing in the terms, you want to write in whether you're doing all cash, you want to write in whether you're doing financing of some type? Is it traditional financing? Is it private money, hard money? Whatever type of loans, wherever your money is coming from, you need to put that into the contract so that sometimes you will have something like a financing contingency. If you are using financing, let's say, for example, Jean, what if you you say you've got the loan, you think you've got the loan, you are supposed to have the loan, but then something happens and you don't have the loan and you're denied. Are you expected to still be able to pay for this house? I, I guess, are they going to be able to come back after you and sue you if you cannot go ahead and purchase the house? I would hope not. Exactly. So again, if you have contingencies written into the contract that suit your needs, in this case, if you're going to be financing your home, you definitely want to put a financing contingency in. If you are going to be occupying the home before closing, they're going to want to put in a contingency for you being in the home prior to closing. There's a million different contingencies that can be written in, and you want to try to, again, understand what suits your best needs, the client's best needs, the buyer, the seller. It's going to be situational, and you're going to have to understand the entire situation in order to write this contract in the best way possible. Now, do you have any questions this far? I do. First, I assume you were just being nice and you wanted to get your client money, more money. Well, again, this particular situation is one where the owner did not want to be bothered with having to choose yet, having to be stressed out. A lot of times when you go ahead and you take a person's money, you take their security deposit, and you're almost done, but not quite. Why well, isn't it done yet? Well, what are you doing? Why weren't you there today? Where were the contractors? Why isn't it finished? And if something happens and it's not done within just a few days, like two or three, they start sweating you. And I mean, sweating you bad in a way that I understand because I've been doing this for so long. But owners are not accustomed to being in these positions. That's why they hire me. I try to mitigate that and not put it on the owner. I know this particular owner and his situation. He's in a situation where he is almost done. It's not going to be that much of a stress for him to finish in a couple of weeks. No big deal. Plus, to go ahead and do something ahead of when he was wanting to do it may be advantageous to both him and the tenant just because we have a little more extra money down. And of course, the tenant can stop sweating to see whether or not they've got a place. 
I think in this particular situation, from what I can tell, he does not have a lot of other options. I'm pretty much the last train that's leaving the the station. He's not getting on another one. It ain't happening. The buck stops with me. So if I can't get him in here, he's not going to have another option. I have to work with him. But again, knowing that he has no other options, yeah, I'm going to get more money. Yeah, I'm going to do what's best for my client. Yeah, I'm going to mitigate that higher risk with cash. I mean, does that not make sense? I know everybody, when they hear this podcast, everybody and their mama is going to be doing the same thing. It's not done right now. This is something that only I do. Let's say, for example, they have a little blip on their background. Nothing serious, nothing major, and it was a long time ago. Do you deny this person? Just deny. You don't get the house. You can't rent to us. I personally say, no, these make some of my best tenants. This is a secret. These are my best tenants. Why? Because they're so freaking thankful to have a house in the first place. They know dang well they was denied at 20 other places. And for me to say yes and get more money out of them, that's all that they need is a little more money? Oh, well, then they'll come up with it. You know they will. Like I said, you've got this money now. You've got the collateral or the carrot to hold out over their head and be like, hey, I've got this over you. Don't misbehave. Don't do nothing wrong. Don't break the lease. Or per the lease, we're keeping this money. It makes sense for the client. It makes sense for the tenant. It makes sense for everyone involved. And to my knowledge, I'm the only one doing it. I think that's going to be changing soon because it serves everyone's interests. And it's just simply a good idea. I have one more question back to your skip tracing. Yes. Was the loan you said that was unexpectedly paid because the individual was probably chased after by creditors? Yes. What happens is creditors will put announcements in public notices. They'll hire attorneys, and these attorneys will sweat them to pay this debt or else this legal action or else this person's coming after them or else they need to go ahead and take care of these debts. So nine times out of ten, yes, much like with the tax auction and another podcast, we talked about how all of my good properties, they were gone. They they got paid prior to the auction. Therefore, I did not have any chance at even getting on those particular properties and bidding on those and winning. So as upsetting as it is, it's also good to know that for those of you who have not yet paid your debts out there, pay your debts. There's still a chance you can still get on the right side and go ahead and start changing your life, changing your stars. I just personally want to know, was the roof in good shape? What, did it have good bones? Was it a good house? Yes, it had very bad carpet that we had to rip out, and we put in laminate flooring. It had a couple of appliances missing, and we went and we got some appliances, and then there was maybe painting to be done. That was pretty much it. It was an easy, quick rehab, and like I said, my mother was very happy with her home for many, many years to come. So if you at home have any questions, you can email us at realestatewendypodcast at gmail.com. Write us a question and maybe we'll be able to answer it on the podcast. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Real Estate with Wendy podcast today. Have a great evening. Bye-bye.